Luke chapter number 18, uh, Jesus Christ is telling a story about prayer. Luke 18, verse number 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one, a Pharisee, and the other, a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you. By the way, that's Jesus talking. When Jesus says, I tell you something, that's pretty important. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Hitting the bottom is indescribable. Our world is too full of stories of those who suffer as their lives spin out of control towards the bottom, never quite finding the hope that they're longing for. Whether it's news of another individual taking their life, which is pandemic in America today, Amongst teens and, and adults. Whether it's the Christian leader who this, about a week ago, after a years of ministering to people who were suicidal, people whose lives were spinning out of control, people who were at the bottom, took his own life. Or the pastor on the, on the um, aftermath of that announced to America how many times he was close to taking his own life as he dealt with people whose lives were spinning out of control in despair and hopelessness. Whether we talk about the drug culture and the people who look for hope and peace at the bottom of another Needle, another bottle, another six-pack. Their lives spin helplessly out of control. Whether it's someone whose parents or loved ones are broken-hearted and weep night after night over their loved one whose life is spinning out of control. And sometimes you'll hear people say, people who 
try to help people, try to reach people whose lives are spinning out of control. You'll often hear someone say they haven't hit bottom yet. They haven't hit bottom yet. You can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped until they hit bottom. And it's only when they hit bottom and they are in despair and they are at the end of their own self-worth, their own self-conceit, their own self-righteousness, and they finally hit bottom. That Jesus Christ has some amazing news. And life begins for someone who hits bottom. We see that illustrated today. Romans chapter 1 describes it with a sweeping plunge towards the bottom. And Romans 1 describes in a sweeping theological presentation in the early chapters of the book of Romans that when someone takes a sweeping plunge to the bottom of moral depravity, it's when they hit bottom that God has hope and life and victory and answers for those who hit bottom. Along the path, we find so many stories, so many people who have looked for cheap substitutes for that which only God can provide. Vanity Fair is crowded today. Jesus, in this story, spoke of hitting bottom. And it is a powerful, powerful story. You saw and see on your little worksheet the bluff, the bottom line up front. Reaching the bottom is the long first step to acquiring what I've been longing for. And it really is. We have in front of us the story of two men coming to the temple platform to pray. Jesus tells this story. It was a, a typical story. It was a daily story in Jerusalem. Those who've been to Jerusalem have walked up those very steps that these two men walked up, stood on the very platform where these two men prayed. These two men, like many men before and after them on two, two different days a week primarily, I believe it was Tuesday and Thursday, and, uh, and two times a day, 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., they would come to the temple platform to pray. And so Jesus tells us a simple story of two men, both going to the temple platform, both going there to pray. And Jesus Christ, as he typically did, drew a contrast by describing these two extreme opposites. On one hand, there's a Pharisee. On the other hand, there's a publican. On the one hand, there's the best that religion can produce. On the other hand is a man who finally hit bottom. And Jesus contrasts these two individuals so we can learn from a very religious man and from a very sinful man that life begins 
when you finally hit the bottom. Where does, how does this story fit into the context of the Gospel of Luke? Jesus Christ had just taught a, a, a powerful section of teaching about his second coming, when he would come back and establish his kingdom on earth. The, the Pharisees, the very ones that Jesus is going to focus on here, Jesus, Jesus Christ was, was they, were, they demanded of Jesus Christ, the Pharisees demanded Jesus, tell us. When will your kingdom come? And under the demand of the Pharisees, Jesus launched into that teaching on his second coming and the establishing of his kingdom here on this earth. At the end of that, that teaching section, Jesus painted a, a, a picture of his glorious kingdom that would come, but it was a kingdom that would be established after a time of severe judgment against a Christ-denying world and persecution by that Christ-denying world against the ones who did believe in Jesus Christ who were on the earth. And so it would be a time of severe judgment, severe persecution. And Jesus even ended the teaching by saying, speaking of the, the number of corpses that will litter the land of Israel and all the vultures that will come to eat the flesh off the bones. Not exactly the most beautiful picture you can imagine in your mind's eye, but that's how Jesus ended his teaching. Obviously, those who will be alive during that time who are followers of Jesus Christ will undergo horrendous pressure to quit, to faint, to give up on their Christianity. And so Jesus immediately launched into a parable, two parables actually, both on prayer. We looked at the at the first one two weeks ago, where Jesus Christ told a parable that encouraged them in times of persecution, unfair treatment, and very difficult times in your life, men ought always to pray and not to faint. Because so many will be tempted to faint during that time of judgment he had just taught about. So he taught a parable to the disciples on the importance of prayer in order to not give up and quit and faint in our Christian service to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He immediately told a second parable, the subject of our message this morning. The second parable on prayer was a parable that dealt with how to get into the kingdom. You see, when Jesus told the parable about, about prayer to the Christians, to always pray and not to faint, he ended that parable teaching in verse number Eight by saying, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Will he find anyone still believing in God? It's going to be so bad, and there'll be so many giving up and quitting on their Christianity. Will he find anybody that still believes in Jesus Christ? Will he find anyone that still looks for the second coming of Jesus Christ? Will he find anyone that still walks the walk and talks the talk? And with that statement, he immediately turned and he told a simple story about how to get into a relationship with God that will last through the difficulties of life. How to get saved. How to be a part of God's kingdom. How to get into the family of God. He told this amazing story about these two men. A story of two men coming up onto the platform to pray.
And, um, and at the end of his story, by the way, each of them pray a prayer, and their prayer, their prayer reveals their heart regarding God. Let that settle into your mind for a second. Two men pray two different prayers, and each of their prayers was like a window looking into their soul, and it revealed their heart in relationship to God. And so, after telling the story of these two men, verse number 14 says, I tell you this, I tell you, this man, he, he had just talked about the publican, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, who was the Pharisee, the first one. And so when Jesus Christ told this story, he, he tells one of them saved in a part of the coming kingdom and one of them's not. One of them went home off the temple platform justified. The other one went off the temple platform the same way he came onto the temple platform. He's not been justified. One on their way to heaven, one on their way to hell. And this teaching shocked. It shocked the religious crowd that Jesus Christ was speaking to. Because it turned their entire theology upside down. The prayer of these men revealed the nature of their heart. How am I to understand what it means to hit bottom? It was the one who hit bottom. They got saved. It was the woman Hannah sung about who, who hit bottom in her life. And God saved her. And she had such love for the God who saved her. Because she knew what he saved her from. She hit bottom. I want you to understand that there's life after you hit bottom. And you can't have life until you hit bottom in your experience. And so two men, two prayers. One hits bottom, the other doesn't. How are we to understand what is going on here? I have three thoughts for you this morning. Three simple thoughts. The first thought comes from verse number 9, and it's Jesus' focus. What is Jesus driving at in this simple story? What is Jesus Christ focusing on? If you'll notice in verse number 9, the Bible says, He spake this parable unto certain. He was focusing on a certain type of person. Jesus Christ told this story focused on certain people. Who were those certain people that Jesus was focusing on? Well, verse number 9 tells us he's focusing on certain people which trusted in themselves. Jesus Christ is focusing on certain people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. That I've lived a pretty good life. I got a good shot at going to heaven. I think I'm okay. I think I'll be able to make it. I think I've, I've done a good enough job. I trust in myself that I stand righteous before God. 
This is the question of, of the ages of humanity. What must a man do to be justified? Verse number, verse number 14 makes it clear we're talking about justification. Do you understand justification? Do you know what justification is? The whole focus of this passage is on certain people who believe that they can become justified as a result of what they do for God. And they trust what they've done for God to justify them. Justify. It's a simple word. It's a legal term. It's a courtroom kind of a word. It means you've been cleared. It means you've been held guiltless. It means that the accusations are wrong. You are just as if you'd never done anything wrong. You're justified. One of the earliest recordings of the Old Testament, a story about a man that lived in the days of the patriarchs of Abraham, a man by the name of Job. The book of Job, chapter 9, verse 2, Job asks the question, how should man be just with God? One of the first questions ever recorded from the lips of a human being, recorded in Scripture, how can a man be just before God? This is the question of humanity. For all of time, the Philippian jailer said it this way, what must I do to be saved? Job asked it in Job 25.4. He said, how then can man be justified with God? How can he be clean that is born of a woman? In other words, how can a human being a person born into humanity. How can a person born of woman ever be clean before a holy God? How can man ever be just before God? This is the question of all questions. This is what Jesus Christ is focusing on. He's focusing on certain individuals who answer that question with their religion. And the religion has given them the answer. The answer is simple. Do what your religion tells you to do, and your religion will make you just before God. Live a good life. Do your best. Try your hardest. Be what your religious leaders tell you to be. Do the ceremonies they tell you to do, and you will be just before God. That was the Pharisees, the most fastidious of all of the Jewish people of Jesus' day. These were the religious leaders. These were the, the priests, the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, 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 the popes, the preachers, the, the, the religious leaders, the top echelon, the ones that are running all the churches and all the denominations and all the organizations. These are the Pharisees. These are the ones who are cut above the rest. These are the ones who have meticulously studied the law of God so they could live exactly the way the law prescribes and they could be good in the eyes of God because of how well they carried out the law of God. The Pharisees. The Pharisees. Jesus focuses on certain people who trust their own religious ability to be good enough to earn the favor of God and be just in the sight of God. 
They saw themselves in one very small category of people who are such good people. And all the others, verse number nine says, and they despised the others. But that word despise, don't, that, that's, that's a harsh word in our English use of that word today. The, the, the word did not come down to us from that harshness. It was, a, it was more of a word of, of, uh, of apathy. It was more a word of ignorance. It was more of a word of, of, of I don't care about you. I don't know you. I don't care about you. I, I, I just, I just, I don't make anything of you. You're not important to me. And so the Pharisees, focusing on their ability to please God on the basis of their religious works, everybody else, they just didn't care about. They made nothing of. They were totally outside of the scope of their attention. And so here we have the self-righteous hypocrisy of the religious leaders in Jesus' day. How could they have ever come to this point in their experience? I mean, given the Old Testament, how could the Pharisees have come to the point that they trusted themselves, that they were righteous? Did they never read their Bible? Were they totally ignorant of the Old Testament? The Old Testament is filled with teaching about man's total sinfulness and inability to ever please God on the basis of their own efforts. The book of Leviticus, with its pronouncement of God's holiness and man's sinfulness. As a matter of fact, Romans 3, when the declaration is made in Romans 3, that it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, everyone is lost, everyone is sinful before a holy God, To prove that, Romans chapter 3, we read the words, as it was written. And then there's a string of quotes from the Old Testament proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's never been a human being that could ever be justified in the sight of God by their religion. Quoting From Psalms and Isaiah, quoting through the Old Testament to prove that man can never be good enough to be accepted by God. But the religious people had substituted the teachings of their leaders for the actual words of God himself. They didn't know what the Bible said because they didn't read the Bible. They just believed what the scribes told them. Do you understand the parallel to where you live today? We live in a world today where across the big spectrum of Christianity, religious leaders have told people who never read the Bible that if you'll get baptized when you're a baby, if you'll live a good life, if you'll do this and that and this, if you don't do this and that and don't do this and the other, you can actually be good enough. And you can be just before God, guiltless before God because of your goodness. How many doors have I knocked on? How many people have I talked to over the years and asked the question, if you die today, do you know where you'd be? And listen to people say, I, I, I think I'll be in heaven. And, and, and then ask the follow-up question, well, why do you think that? And then listen to them explain to me all of their goodness, their church membership, their church attendance, their giving to causes, 
that are philanthropic, their, their kindness and neighborliness to the people that live next door. On and on and on and on the list goes. I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and I've never done this and I've never done this and I've never done that. I think I've got as good a chance as the next guy to make it to heaven. And you know why they think that? Because they've never read the Bible. They just believe what their church told them. These Pharisees, how could they have ever come to this point when Jesus Christ confronted them with their false theology? How could they have ever come to this point? It would seem to me that the only way they could come to this point is to have never read the Bible. Do you understand the reading of the Bible is enlightening? You know, some people actually actually will stake their eternity on a book they've never read. Does that make any sense or what? They'll say that they believe they're going to be in heaven on the basis of what this book says. Have you read that book? No. I just believe what somebody told me about this book. You realize reading the Bible is, is life-changing? Studying the Word of God and knowing what God actually says is life-changing? It'll take a person who's trusted a religion and a ceremony and good works. It'll turn them away from that. That's why there are some Christian denominations who actually burned Bibles that had been translated into the tongue of the common person. And when they found someone translating the Bible into the tongue of the common person and printing them for distribution, they would burn the Bibles and kill the people who translated them and printed them and gave them out in the name of Christianity. Because they didn't want people reading that book. Because if people read that book, they won't believe what that denomination is teaching any longer. Oh, the power of the Word of God to cause a person to realize I'm at rock bottom. There's nothing good in me. When I stand before God, I am at rock bottom. You read the Bible, you have to come to that conclusion because the Bible portrays a God who is holy and just, and his standard for heaven is to be just like him. Be ye holy as I am holy. And that's a standard that your goodness and self-righteousness will never enable you to reach. Whoa. And yet the Old Testament then declares... The justification, rather than being on the basis of how good you can be to attain God's favor, rather, it's only made possible by the grace of a merciful God. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. In Genesis 15, David in Psalm 51 confessed that he was at rock bottom and needed the grace and mercy of God to save him. Isaiah in Isaiah 53 spoke of the, the fact that Jesus Christ the Messiah would come and bear our sins because we could never be righteous. In the sight of God, 
by our own efforts. The Bible declares the sinfulness of man in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament also declares that salvation is by the grace and mercy of God to people who are at rock bottom and don't deserve anything from God. Those are the people that Jesus Christ is focusing on. People who think they can make it on their own. You see, religion gives a person a path to holy living that earns a place in God's kingdom. But Jesus gives a path down to the bottom of a person's goodness where a helpless person can cry out, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So Jesus focuses on the religious who ignore everything the Bible says about salvation as they place their hopes in their own goodness. By the way, these Pharisees are the ones that Jesus fought against Continually. Because they held the hearts of the Israelite people in their grasp of self-righteousness and religion. And Jesus fought religion daily during his ministry. To free souls from the grasp of self-righteous religion. And let them hit rock bottom where they could cry out to God. For mercy. You want a good example of that? Read Paul's testimony a few times. Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, does anyone have confidence in the flesh? He was a Pharisee, you know. Does anyone have confidence in the flesh? Does anyone have confidence in their own ability to justify themselves through their own efforts in the face of a holy God? I'm more. I am more. Oh, yes, Paul said. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. That's touching the law. I was blameless. I was meticulous in my religious devotion. Follow me. Look at how I lived my life. I was a good man. And in the middle of Philippians 3, he said, I had to come to the place in my life where I counted all of my religious devotion as manure. And that's the word the Spirit of God used. Manure. I had to count all of my religious devotion, my rituals, my baptisms, my devotions, my attendances, my, all my rituals and ceremonies. I counted everything I'd ever done as a Pharisee to earn my favor with God. I counted it all to be worthless manure. In order to get saved when I hit rock bottom. Yeah, Jesus' focus is the religion of self-righteousness through religious devotions and ceremonies and rituals that supposedly earn favor with God. Let me give you a second thought. Here's the second thought. Jesus' story, simple story, verse number 10. Verse number 10 says, two men went up into the temple to pray. Uh, up, they, they walked up the temple platform steps. It's on the south side. You walk up the southern steps, come to the temple platform. You go on the temple platform, and you can't go right in those doors. Those doors aren't, aren't there. You can come up those stairs. You have to come in from a different 
position. And by the way, they've just opened since I was there. They've just opened. They have uh, done amazing archaeological work in the uh, under the old city of David. And they've got down to the stairs approaching the old city of David up to where the stairs are uh, surface that, that go up into the temple area. Jesus said two men came up just like they always do. Two men came up. They came up to pray. One's a Pharisee and one's a publican. One's a religious man and one's a sinful man. Remember the publican. The publicans, those were the, those were the traitors that had bought tax franchises from the oppressing Roman government. And they were fleecing their neighbors. And they were stealing the money from their neighbors and paying part of it back to Rome and getting rich on the rest of it like Zacchaeus. The tax collector, the publican, they were the most despised Jews in Jerusalem. A tax gatherer, a tax collector, a traitor to our country. And so Jesus, as he often did, took the two extremes. The most religious you could find, a Pharisee. The bottom of the barrel, a publican. And they both go onto the temple platform to pray. Two men at opposite extremes, illustrating those who trust themselves and those who are totally hopeless and helpless, who bottomed out. The Pharisee comes to the temple platform to pray. As they often did, the Pharisees would often gather wherever the action was. They would gather into the thickest things, because as we know from other places in the Gospels where Jesus taught about prayer and the Pharisees, that the Pharisees would often position themselves so they could be heard and so they could be seen and they'd wear their phylacteries and they would pray and they would do so as a great ostentatious display of their religion and their pompous belief that they, of all people, were just before God. But the publican was over in the corner of the temple platform far off, separated by his awareness of his great sinfulness, a story. Jesus had addressed the Pharisees just a couple of chapters before in Luke 16, remember? He said to the Pharisees in Luke 16, 15, year, year, they would justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. Jesus would look into the eyes of these Pharisees, these religious people who justified themselves in their own self-righteousness. And he said, you phonies, God knows your hearts. Verse number 10 says that the two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a publican. Verse number 11 and 12 focus on the Pharisee. The Pharisee stood and prayed. Notice this. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. That's interesting. The Pharisee prayed with himself. I wonder what that means. He prayed with himself. Grammatically, it could mean that he kind of mumbled and prayed silently in his own heart. Like you sometimes pray. Not out loud, but quietly in your heart. Saying words, but not vocalizing those words. Grammatically, it could mean that. But in the history of the Pharisees and the way they prayed, that doesn't fit the story. That Jesus Christ is telling. Here's a man who prays not to God. He prays to himself. 
He, he addresses God. Verse number, verse number 11, he, the, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee. God, I thank thee. But you'll, you read those two verses and you won't find one thing that he thanks God for that God did. But about five times you'll find him using the word I. Oh God, I thank you that I am so righteous. I have kept my religion. And my religion has convinced me that I'm good enough to go to heaven on the basis of my goodness. He addressed God and he thanked God. For, but what did he thank God for? He never mentioned a thing. He wasn't focused on anything God did for him. He wasn't focused on anything he needed from God. He talked to himself. Oh, I thank God that I'm who I am. I thank God that I am. And he prayed about his own belief that he was good enough to go to heaven. You know, that's how it sounds in the ears of Jesus when you ask someone, where do you think you'd go if you died today? Well, I think I'd go to heaven. Why do you think you'd go to heaven? Well, because I've never done anything to not deserve heaven. I've, I've, I've done this and I've done that and I've done this and I've done that. You know, that's exactly, this is exactly how that sounds in the ears of God. I've done this, God, and I've done this, God, and I got baptized here, and I went to this church, and I went through this ceremony, and I, I, I followed this religion, and, and I did everything that the religious leader told me to do, and I've, I've tried really hard to be good, and I, 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 I. And the Pharisee spoke with himself, addressing God but not talking to God, addressing God. And even saying, I thank thee, but never thanking God for anything. Totally focused on himself. In verse number 11, he, he tells what, what he's not. What he's not. In, in, in verse number 11, he says, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. Do you understand that when someone believes that they're good enough to go to heaven, they believe that because they've compared themselves with something. One that doesn't measure up as good as they are. That's the way it always is. Well, why do you think you're going to go to heaven? Because I'm better than that guy. Well, I've never done this. I've never done that. I've never done this. People who are blinded by the idea that you can earn favor with God by being good. Compare themselves... The people they know aren't as good as them. And that makes them feel better about themselves. I thank you, God, I'm not like other people are. And then he mentions, he lists the worst people he can think of. It'd be like if I said, well, God, I, 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 I thank you, God, that I'm not like, <laughs> I'm not like Charles Manson. Surely I'm going to make it. I, I, I'm not like Hitler. Sure, surely I'm going to make it. They compare themselves to the worst they can find to make themselves look better in their own eyes. And so the Pharisee said, I thank God that I'm not like other men are. Extortioners, those are thieves, unjust people, adulterers, morally corrupt, or even as that publican over there. You see, 
religious people who believe that they can earn favor with God because of their religion and good works. They see themselves as good by comparing themselves to other people who are not good. And not only, not only uh, what I'm not, but verse number 12, he, he says, and, and, and look what I do. I mean, I, I fast twice a week. The Old Testament law only required one fast in the whole year. And I fast 100 times, 104 times a year. God required one, I give God 104 Oh, man, I am so good. I am so righteous. I am so religious. And, and, and I give tithes of all that I possess. I, I, they had three different tithes. I, I give tithe number one. I give tithe number two. I give tithe number three. In another place, Jesus said they even, the Pharisees would even, when they picked their their herbs out of their garden. It's like, like picking your herbs out of your little herb garden. They made sure that they, they kept nine seeds for themselves and one seed for God. Nine leaves for myself, one leaf for God. And they would take their seeds and their leaves to the temple and give it to them. I tithe of everything. I am so religious. That's the Pharisee. The one who has been deluded into thinking that they can be good enough to please God. And then Jesus said there's another guy praying. In verse number 13, the publican. He's not drawing where, over to the side of the temple platform where all the activity is so he, everyone can see him and everyone can hear him and be impressed by his religious standing in their community with his robes and his phylacteries and his loud prayers. No. No, he, he's over there afar off. And he's standing there. And he's at the bottom. And he won't even look up to God. He stands there, defeated and dejected. With his eyes cast down. And so overcome with emotion that he takes his fists and he beats them on his chest. In emotion and distraught. He's at the bottom. He's at the end of his rope. He's in a hopeless condition. I'm going to hell. And he cries out from the depths of his brokenness. Oh God. Oh God. Be merciful to me, a sinner. The prayer you pray reveals your heart. Who you think you are. And how proud God must be to have you. Or how needy you are of a holy God that would be merciful to your sorry soul. Your prayer reveals your heart. And it's when you're broken under the weight of sin that life 
can begin. He's reached the bottom of his own self-righteousness. He knows he's not going to heaven. He knows he'll not be in God's kingdom. He knows there is no hope for him in his ability to earn the favor of God. Let me give you the final thought. Jesus' lesson. You could call it the moral of the story. Verse number 14, Jesus' lesson is this. The person who goes to heaven is not the religious person. It's the sinful person. This publican who beat his breast with his eyes down to the ground, crying out from emotion, Oh God, be merciful to me. This man went down to his house justified. Do you understand what that did to those religious Pharisees that Jesus was focusing on? That turned their entire theology upside down. That meant all of their religion, all of their ceremonies, all of their self-righteousness, all of the things that they've been taught about how you can earn favor with God and you can go to heaven because you've done what your religion has told you to do. All of that is false. All of those are lies. Jesus turned their theology upside down. Those Pharisees would have been in utter shock for Jesus to say, a Pharisee will go to hell and a publican will go to heaven. That turned everything upside down. That's why they murdered Jesus a few months later. As a matter of fact, just a couple of days before they murdered Jesus, Jesus said these words to these same Pharisees on this same temple platform that he talked about these two men praying on. Matthew 21, verse 31 and 32. Whither of them twain did the will of the Father? And they said, the first. And Jesus said, verily I say unto you, publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. He was talking to Pharisees. What? Publicans and harlots will go into the kingdom of God before the religious elite of Jerusalem? For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward, that ye might believe him. And he told them that just about two days before they murdered him. And they got so angry. How dare you? And they found a way to capture him when no one else would be there to see it. In the garden in the middle of the night. And then they rushed him into a fake trial at night. And they convinced enough people to go along with them. And they murdered him the next morning. Oh. This is shocking teaching coming from the lips of Jesus Christ himself. What does it say about you? What does it say about your heart? 
Where do you fit into the story? Are you like the Pharisee? Can you show your baptism certificate, your perfect attendance records? Can you show your statement of what you've given money to, the causes, the people, the poor, the needy? Have you fulfilled all of the requirements of your religious devotion in the denomination or church that you are a part of? Have you done everything required of you to be a good person so that people would say you're a good person? And is that what you're trusting in? To earn enough brownie points with God and He'll let you into His heaven? Or are you better represented by the publican who remembers the day in your life where you knew that there's no way that you could ever Earn a place with God in His favor. And you fell on your face before holy God. And you said, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Because which prayer best reflects your heart tells whether you are justified and on your way to heaven or unjustified and on your way to hell. And Jesus Christ said, it's the people who lift themselves up as righteous and good that are put down. And it's those who humiliate themselves before a holy God as totally unworthy of His love who God then raises up and makes them members of His own family. Those are the words of the end of that last verse. The moral of the story. Where are you?